Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us. A journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Well, it's happened, Hannah. I have to uh, I have to quit playing Dungeons and Dragons because Satan himself created it and he's using it as a tool to bind my soul to hell forever oh. through imagination and wonderment and joy. That's how he always gets you. Yep. So welcome everybody to between Lewis and Lovecraft, where we talk about Christian fundamentalism and why it's right, and how your kids are being exposed to the Aquarian cults of death and Satan and... See, the problem is, I know everything you're saying is nonsense, but some paranoid woman out there is like, yes, yes. this is why little Lucas is not cleaning his room. Yes. He's got his Dungeons and Dragons minis everywhere, and I'm tired of it. I want him to praise Jesus and have Jesus figurines everywhere. I'd actually rather have my kid have Dungeons and Dragons miniatures. Can you imagine walking into like your eight-year-old's room and there's just Jesus figurines everywhere? That would be a little creepy. That would like, be so. That seems like the devil's work. It it's a little obsessive, yeah. Um, by the way, I 100% don't believe everything I just said. I, I'm going back to Ernest Hemingway and lying <laughs> at the beginning, at the top of our show. I think most people who have listened to the first episode of this this two-parter would would understand that it's a joke. If this is this, the first time you're listening to our show or if you're jumping into our episode in part two, maybe go back and check out part one. It's a good... Or go farther back and check out C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah, a... definitely. It's just a smoother transition introduction to, to our show. Or, hey, you know what? Just, I mean, we talked about hell a couple months ago. You could just go and listen to that one, too. Perfect. So, um, do your homework, guys. <laughs> do your homework. Meanwhile, we did our homework, finally. <laughs> yeah. I don't have my laptop. I don't have uh, the book that I read as a reference. So I'm going to be all... Uh, unsubstantiated reports of guy gags and dungeons and dragons at this point that's pretty much every episode yeah that's true i you know what i've cultivated an air of unintelligence so that just in case of situations like this where like if i do forget all of my materials nobody's surprised (laughs) right you can just be like oh what'd you expect yeah so hannah we're in the second episode how do you feel about D&D right now I feel a lot more favorable toward it. Yeah? Uh, I mean, I wasn't like a super... I wasn't ever anti-D&D. I just didn't understand <laughs> it. I wasn't a member of a bad, oh, bothered okay. about Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. B-A-D-D. I was just like a member of ad, ambivalent about Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, but, you know, the the opposite of love is not hate. It's ambivalence. Oh, so. um, sorry. <laughs> So would you say you love Dungeons and Dragons now? I mean, I still haven't played it, so I can't yeah. say I love it. We really got it. Gotta, we got to change that, don't we? We do. Maybe we need to get Megan from the Book Nook and mm. you together for real and actually have you play it. 
um, because it's fun. It does sound like super intimidating, though. Just like even with no, all the stuff you've read, even with all the stuff I've read, and they they make a very big deal about it. They're like, okay, you don't have to be scared. Like right. it seems like there's a lot of rules, but yeah. you don't have to know them when you go to play plus, your first game. Plus, we um, coming out uh, within the next week will be um, a, a couple of parts of an interview that we did with uh, Jarrett Sullivan from um, Fables of Refuge. Where we talked to him kind of about his process of DMing uh, for his show and kind of the books and stuff that he really liked in fantasy. That's going to be a podcast. And then we did a second part, which will be up on YouTube, uh, where Hannah makes her first character. And even with that, Hannah, with talking to Jarrett and going through that process, was that in, was that still intimidating or is it more intimidating? Less? Uh, less. It okay. was, Yeah. But before I did it, it was intimidating. Sure. But afterwards, I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty fun. Yeah. Just, like, roll I mean, the dice, and choose then some characteristics. And then kind of come up with, with fun story elements and stuff. Like, I yes. really loved – I don't want to give it away because it's so cool. <laughs> and I when, they, when it happens on the show, if it happens on their show and our characters show up, I'm going to be blasting it everywhere. <laughs> Uh, so I don't want to ruin the surprise of what we created, but I thought what we had come up with was a really fun idea. Uh, we do need to sit down and kind of finish <laughs> making them so we can send them off to Jarrett to use if he ever does. Yes. Um, but that's pretty much the whole process is it's almost a conversation um, within the parameters and boundaries set forth by the rules of the book and uh, the DM themselves, the DM being the dungeon master, basically a referee for the game. Um, so it's it's be, it's between the players and and the DM to kind of bring the story to light. So it's it's not that it needs to be intimidating because it's just having a fun conversation of like, well, what if you know? It's it's just like getting together with friends and doing that, but you have boundaries to make that more exciting. I think exactly. Yeah. All right. Shall we? Finish our conversation let's, about Let's dive Mr. back Gygax. into D&D, um, where we left off. Uh, they ha- He had just really started the process of thinking about creating it. Yes, they just had that pivotal meeting uh, with Dave Arneson and a couple other friends who came to Lake Geneva right. to play their own campaign for Grey, Greyhawk? Uh, no, or it was, was Blackmore. Blackmore. So Dave Arneson, who is one of the co-creators of Dungeons & Dragons, and we should really stress that because Gary Gygax gets... 98% of the credit. Um, Dave Arneson read the rules set down by Chainmail, which is a completely different game that Gary Gygax wrote the rules for and had a small uh, portion at the end about how to make it more fantastical, fantasy Tolkien-esque. And Dave Arneson goes, great, I'm going to take those rules and I'm going to create this campaign of uh, of a game and he called it Blackmore, and he came over to um, to Gary's place, and they played it, and Gary was in love, and he had finally realized what he really wanted to create was this game. Yep. So within two weeks of that, he had written a whole set of rules, and he was testing it out on his kids, uh, Ernie and Elise, uh, as well as friend Don Kay, and just some random kid from up the street. He's like, yep. okay, you guys are going to test it out. Yep. Um. And I think it was kind of cute because when he was trying to come up with the the name for the game, he just wrote like a bunch like lists 
mm-hmm. in different col- different columns with like fantasy esque words, um, and like would just randomly read them out. So it would be like cauldron and whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he read them to his kids to see what they liked best. And right. I think it was one of his daughters who was Elise he said, was the one. Elise. He yeah. he read Dungeons and Dragons, and she was like, "I like that one." Yep. Yep, we can thank Elise for the alliteration and um, just the perfect tone, I think, to this game, Dungeons & Dragons. Though, to be completely honest, the things I avoid most while playing this game are Dungeons & Dragons. (laughs) Dragons. I mean, that seems like a good survival skill. Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's it gets so, um, I don't know, I've never been a part of what's called a dungeon crawl. And it's a style of play. It's not even a style of play. It's just what you call an event within the game where you're part of a party that is specifically trying to get through a dungeon to get to the end so you can get the loot and and the stuff and kill the monsters. Um, And that's how it was originally created. This This is how Gary started the process of telling the stories and creating the game is like you don't have necessarily these open worlds you do they did they could roam but the idea is you're only using this world to get from one dungeon to the next and you dive into this dungeon and you go okay great you're in a room and there's a a door on the east west and north side which door do you go through and you as the group squabble for a bit to try and figure out which one you go to and then that door might be trapped or there might be magic interfering and you have to figure out the riddle and do the whole thing. And it's the dungeon is a level um, that has different phases that you as the group work through. That's what he was. That's what he started to create in Dungeons and Dragons. And that's what we would call nowadays a dungeon crawl. Now, when I play, I'm creating a world and I'm like, you're going from town to town. There might be a cave. There could be a dungeon somewhere, you know, but you're like, it's way more open and it's way more free than how he was creating it back then. Nice. Um, so yeah, so he, he has the, the rules. He has the name. He starts shopping it around, um, Avalon Hill, which was at the time, the biggest war game publisher in the business, mm-hmm. not interested in it. No wonder if that's one of those decisions that later on they were kicking themselves for. I know the second person that he approached, uh, Guyon Games, who mm-hmm. he was writing for, 100% kicked themselves in the pants for not for not doing it. For not taking it. Because it was huge. And they just – the thing is they just weren't big enough to be able to handle what he thought it was going to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he had been writing for them. He left um, Guyon Games in – 1973 and that same October uh, he took Don K on as a partner and they founded Tactical Studies Rules or mm. TSR yep um, so they both invested about a thousand dollars of their own money to print a thousand copies of the D&D rules book um, and within about 10 months they sold out mm-hmm. so they printed twice as many copies and sold out again yep so off to a pretty pretty good start well and, and you have to think uh, again for, for listeners who might not know or might not remember, Gary is highly involved in the in the gaming community in his area. Right. So it's not like just some rando who made up a game in right. his basement. He I mean, is, he didn't make he's it up hosting conventions every year at Gen Con. Um, he, is, he has several um, periodicals that he mm-hmm. r- writes and edits for. Um, he is 
he has been working on games with other people for a long time. This is not the first game that he has worked on. Um, so he has people who are playtesting it and talking about it in their own groups and own cities and stuff. And you have to think Dave Arneson, he's, he's over, um, Minnesota. In, in Minnesota and he's also, you know, pushing it a little bit. So, so there is a, there is almost a fan base to be, um, selling this to to justify these numbers a little bit you're right it's not just him on the side of the road <laughs> you like stand. try to play my game yeah you want to play some games little boy <laughs> so uh things were going pretty well but then in 1975 don k died of a heart attack um and so his wife donna k don't know why they have, oh, to have man. such similar you had, names you had to wonder what the bedroom <laughs> talk was like oh don oh donna <laughs> no, so she inherited um his shares and took over some of the duties but it's not like she was she I didn't mean, like it she, she hated yeah. it i mean don don was uh investing all this time into this and she was not a fan of how much time he was putting into a game so when she inherited his stock she was like i don't want this i don't want to be a part of it and it created a huge problem for uh gygax and uh bloom right yeah the bloom brothers well well bloom was the other was the third uh, the third person to Kevin buy or stock. Brian, Brian Bloom. Brian, I um, I, and I, I could be very wrong, so I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> One uh, of the Blooms. That's why I said Bloom and not the first name because I, I didn't know if it was Kevin. I think it's Brian. We'll say it's Brian. <laughs> In our retelling of history, Brian Bloom, he bought the third uh, shares, uh, third set of shares and and he owned a third of the company and it's what allowed them to do the second reprinting and get things off the ground so when don k died it created a vacuum there needed to be somebody there who is the third partner someone who was going to take a controlling interest in uh the company um who owned this so um brian went and got his brother kevin to buy those shares mm -hmm. so now two bloom brothers are in charge of Gary Gygax's uh, creation, which is TSR and which, Dungeons and Dragons, which will end up being a bit of a problem down the road. A huge, but problem, for now yeah. they're still having a decently good job. They're making making money. They moved out of Gygax's basement and into an actual office space down the road. Um, and Dave Arneson was originally hired as part mm -hmm. of the creative staff, but was let go less than a year later. Very quickly, he was not wanted anymore. Yeah. So this dude who was such a huge part of the creation of D and D, he's yeah. out within a year. Well, and it and it comes down to his work style compared to Gygax's work style. When when Gygax started creating Dungeons and Dragons, it was based off of Blackmore, and uh, Gary's like, "Yo, Don, send me all of your rules and what you use to create this campaign." And he got just in this ma in the mail, he got just pages of handwritten goop, just nothing. That anyone like I showed you my stuff earlier where it was like one or two sentences and I could recall everything I'm talking about for these books, these <laughs> ideas that I have. This guy was like that, but like the sentences were backwards because he would he would come up with them in weird ways. He was a very creative guy. He and he was he's he should be honored for creating such a monumental game, but he didn't have the organizational skills that Gygax did to the point where Gygax became that filter and funnel for all of these rules and things. And he funneled them down into a nice, neat player's handbook, the, the rule book for Dungeons and Dragons. And that carried over. They brought Don, uh, they brought 
Arneson over and he continued to have these ideas and he, and he couldn't process them the way that they needed him to to create real tangible rules and things that people can latch on to. So it was just a it's just a work style. They just couldn't work together. Right. So after he was gone, they had some sort of agreement about royalties for stuff. He was supposed yeah. to get like 5% or something on yeah. Uh, all royalties from the stuff that he contributed to. Right. Which is fair. And and he was making a lot of money from that 5%. Like yeah, absolutely. when they first started it wasn't that much, but right. by then it had grown uh, into quite quite a business. Um but then later on By the way, if if you guys are looking for specifics in in the business portion of how how much they made, the numbers that they get we're not going to touch well, that. Well, I mean, <laughs> not, I, I'm not good with that stuff. At so the I'm height of it, it, it was like a multi-million dollar business. It was multi-million. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and but, but you and I are not here to talk business. We're here to talk books and creative yes. stuff. So Suffice to say, Arneson was making a comfortable income just from royalties. Yes. Um, but then in the late 70s, uh, Gygax created Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Which was, I mean, is it fair to say that it was kind of very different? than the original that they came out with. Yeah, I mean, it was different. Um, it was different enough to justify uh, Gygax's thought process of Arneson has no right to the royalties of this. Mm-hmm. Um, he did it because things needed to be laid out better and probably to stop having to pay Arneson some royalties. Like, there was uh, as a double-edged sword. It got a lot of things done, cleaned things up, got people out of the mill that he didn't want to have to worry about anymore. Unfortunately, Arneson disagreed. And he said, yo, you wouldn't have advanced Dungeons and Dragons if you didn't have D&D in the first place. So all of that money from the from the first two books, I think, of advanced D&D, that I need to get royalties from that. Yeah. So he, he sued them. Uh, they ended up settling out of court, and it was like a two-year process. Yeah. Lawsuits aren't fast, I guess. Um, well, because Guy Gax started to realize this, and I think that that is a credit to his ability to sympathize with people. Like he is, Guy Gax is not some money-grabbing businessman. He is, he's about the story. He's about creating stuff. He all he wants to do is sit down and write fun stories, and that comes back. A lot later, he all he wants to do is write good stories and have fun and game. He's not a lawyer. He's he's not a CEO. He's not someone who should be running a business. So he realizes, like, yeah, you know what? Arneson does deserve some of this because we wouldn't have D&D without him. Well, and at this point, I think TSR's uh, board and stakeholders are probably getting more powerful, too. And they're like, it's cheaper to yeah. be like, hey, okay, we're going to give you 2.5% now on royalties from AD&D. Yeah. So that was the number they they settled on. Um, but, I mean, that that tension was always going to be there. Arneson ended up suing again in the mid-'80s when yeah. TSR tried to stop paying him royalties on the Monster Manual 2. Yep. He won that. Had to get a bunch of money, like, back paid to him or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, they... I think Arneson described it later in an interview as, like, they didn't hate each other, but they were never friends again. Because, sure. I mean, how are you friends with someone you keep suing? Right. Well, yeah, because you have a uh, fundamental difference in ideals. And yeah. Yeah, they're, they're close enough to understand each other, but not close enough to, to accept each other, you know? Yeah, so by the end of the... 
the 70s. This guy who helped found it, he's kind of out of the, the creative picture. Yeah. Uh, also in the 70s, we get to deal with the moral hysteria <laughs> around D&D. Late 70s into the early 80s and, yep. and really throughout. To, I mean, throughout the, the rest ni- of it. To the basically. 90s. There's always going to be those people who are. Um, this this era spans at least a decade, um, and there's a lot to go into. So, so one of the let's go into one of the more famous cases came from uh, August of 1979. A D and D player who was named James Dallas Egbert III went missing from Michigan State University, um, and his mother Patricia Polling claimed. Uh, or no, was no, it? That's, no, that's that's a, that's a different a one. Sorry. Story. Yeah. So his mom, who was not Patricia, yeah. uh, she she blamed his disappearance on D and D. She said like he went like, looking for something and got lost or possibly murdered. As it turned out, he had he was very depressed. He had gone off and tried to poison himself. Uh, it didn't work. He ended up coming home, but killed himself within <clears throat> like the next year. So, but while he was missing, it was just this whole like national freak out over D&D. And then a few years later, I think, was when Patricia Polling started making her rounds in the media. Um, So she claimed that her son had shot himself in the chest as a result of a curse he got in D&D. And so she founded Bad, Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons, which is basically like mad mothers against drunk driving, but for games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so all of this is going on. I think at one point, like, Gygax tried to go on 60 <laughs> Minutes or something and clear the air. But they brought in, like, all these parents who, like, claimed that their kids had either killed themselves or, like, tried to commit crimes as a result of that. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, he was basically fighting a losing losing war there just because it was so catchy. To, to It was a very convenient thing to blame. Sure. societal problems on sure i think at some point they were like oh there have been 50 suicides and homicides linked to D." yeah and it was just insane um the interesting thing was during all of this dungeons and dragons was doing great financially yeah so to to back up before we get into that there's just so much to talk about here uh especially for me as a christian and someone who kind of caught the tail end of the satanic panic right um, I still have books on my shelf that are 100% influenced by this era. Um, and, and so <clears throat> it's, it's interesting to look at it in retrospect and stuff. You have uh, a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah. So the first one was, uh, James Dallas, uh, Egbert, the third, just the best name ever. Um, he was a really smart kid who got sent to college way too soon. He started his freshman year of college at 15 years old. He went missing when he was 16 years old, uh, his sophomore year. So you can you can kind of glean an idea of maybe the expectations that were on him, right? Um, and he played D&D, um, and there's, uh, there's this idea of, like, that they would go down into these utility tunnels and go play D&D. And Which sounds super fun. It sounds super fun, but also dangerous. Don't do it. We're not advocating that. But if I ever host a big time thing, maybe it'll be in a utility <laughs> tunnel just as a reference to this. Um, but so he, he wanted to commit suicide. He just wanted to commit suicide. So he goes down to the utility tunnels to lose himself. And so they hire um, William Deere. William Deere. Yep. And William Deere, 
is a terrible, terrible person. If you do any research on him, you'll see that all he does is he sticks his fingers into any pie that he can at when he was doing any of this, and he is trying to stir up as much controversy as he can to justify him doing um, his investigations into things. Um, he has several books about like the OJ trial. I was going to say this is the guy who wrote yeah. a book claiming OJ's son was the actual murderer. Yeah, they're, like he he just looks for opportunity and he's just trying to sell books. That's what William Deere is doing. So if there's anyone of the William Deere state, here's what you can do: <laughs> go fuck yourself. Because all you did was was fuck with something great and try to push it down. So first hit on my list is William Deere. <laughs> it's stupid what he did. And anybody who's just trying to get controversy going for the sake of selling books, they suck. And they're not they're not all he did was fuck things up. He, he goes and investigates that this missing kid finds him in the utility things because there was a cork board. Right. There's a cork board with pins in a very specific pattern, which I've seen a picture of it. And it to me looked more like a phallus than it looked <laughs> like uh, utility. Like, I don't know how someone could look at this and be like, oh, this shape is like the utility uh, tunnels underneath blah, blah, blah's home. It's like, no, that's a dick, dude. <laughs> like, that's a penis. But whatever. He f- somehow jumps to this conclusion. They go down, they find him, save him one month later. You know, and and then he and then he's dead later, and he commits suicide because he's sad, he's depressed, he's got a lot of problems. And then later, there's uh, Patricia Poling, who's um, very conservative, very Christian fundamentalist, um, and she sees that her son is uh, is depressed and stuff and starts to try and figure it out like any mother would and eventually he kills himself and she starts to look for why um because it can't be her it can't be the family unit that's impossible um and it can't be the fact that he might possibly have been homosexual and couldn't come out to his family that's not a that's not a good enough reason it had to be this game that he liked to play where huh weird how in this game he gets to escape reality a little bit and enjoy being whoever he wants to fucking be that's crazy how dare he want to do that when he's not allowed to be who he wants to be in the real world so she goes off and starts this whole thing and gets a bunch of media attention and the whole satanic panic has been escalating since the satanic church has started up only not even a decade ago and so that's that's growing and people are going crazy. You got Judas Priest on fucking trial. So, you know, that's in the media and this just adds to it. And Gary Gygax is like, he reads this article, the like the first time with uh, Ed, Egbert III, where it's like, this kid's been missing. And it, and we think it might be linked to D&D, which is owned by TSR, blah, blah, blah. And, and in the article itself, they got so many things wrong about how the game is played and who owns it. So even the journalistic integrity of who wrote it is totally compromised, let alone where they got their their facts. Yeah, nobody bothered to find out what the game actually is. No. no. Yeah, uh, there was one in an interview in the early 2000s, he was talking about uh, Patricia Poling, and he said, uh, quote, clearly she was transferring blame for her own failure to a game. Yep. It was sad. So, I mean, yep. 
yeah, he could see it the whole time. But it got pretty bad. Like, I guess in the in the 80s, he had to have a bodyguard because he was getting so many death threats. Right, because it because the fundamentalists, their biggest thing is they want to help people live their life and they want people to be peaceful and happy. So what are we going to do? We're going to kill the guy that created a game that we think should shouldn't exist. Naturally. Um, Logic is too hard you you got you got people blaming it because it has satanic imagery um because they have demons in the game they're getting mad because people are casting spells in it which this is a very american-centric idea of what satan satanism is um these these images these um these things that are in the book they're not based off satan or the Bible even, they're based off of ancient cultures. And ancient cultures got twisted by Christianity going, oh, no, 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 that, uh, that <laughs> God who has uh, the feet of a goat and horns, that's actually an image of, of Satan himself. Not Pan, not a different God, that's Satan. And so we look at that same thing with from two different lenses, and some people will be like, yeah, that's Pan, and most Christians will be like, no, that's, that's the devil. It's like, no. Christianity has warped that image to become something satanic. So this book is going back to the original ideas of what things were. And then Christians in America have been warped and twisted by Christian fundamentalism to look at that and go, no, that's sat satanic. So they're wrong. <laughs> like already they're wrong. Um, and then you get things like Chick Tracks. Um, and I think his name is Jim Chick is what, or James Chick. I can't quite remember, but this dude was huge during the moral uh, thing that was happening, this satanic panic. Basically, what he would do is he would take anything he could, any sin, I'm using air quotes, sin or anything that like media, like playing video games, watching TV, too much football, jerking <gasps> off, having uh, action figures, anything that could be anything at all. He would write an entire comic strip about it. And then at, at the end and throughout it, and he wouldn't hold back. He'd be like, this person played with their action figures and jerked off too much. They're going to hell and I'm going to depict them in hell. And and Satan is dancing over their their bloody corpse and, you know, being like, ah, oh, you jerked off too much. Now you'll jerk off in hell. <laughs> and then their friend is like, oh, no, my friend went to hell for jerking off. And, but, and then there's someone else who's like, just accept Jesus Christ. And there's always like this bargain being made. It's very to be honest, satanic, this bargain being made of like, you know, don't ever touch your penis again and accept the Lord Jesus Christ and you will go to heaven. And then it shows them in heaven. They're like, golly gee whiz, I'm so glad that I didn't touch myself or have sex ever again because now I'm in heaven. Like, it's this very polarizing, exaggerated, ridiculous comic book strip thing that he would do. And he made lots of money doing it because Christian fundamentalists would buy thousands of these things and hand them out because it was their justification for getting like being like read this and you'll understand the 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 dangers of reading too many books or the dangers of watching the nightly news which we're currently using for our moral uh <laughs> brigade but we don't want you to know that we just think that in general news is too bad because tv's evil read this because of dungeons and dragons and there's a whole comic strip called dark dungeons that he did where like let's see if i can remember this correctly without referencing it oh, 
Dark Dungeons is about uh, a couple of friends, some, some girlfriends that are hanging out and playing D&D. And um, one of them starts to get super into her witch character and goes and joins the occult and becomes an actual witch through it because this there's this prevailing rumor that the original Dungeons and Dragons had actual spells that they would use, like they've gotten from real life so that they could make the game more realistic. So if you just read that, you could learn how to do these spells in real life, which is bullshit. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me that spells aren't real, Tyler? I'm telling you that the idea that you can read a Dungeons and Dragons handbook and know how to do magic, that's the bullshit. <laughs> anyway, so she starts getting into it, and then like the dungeon master or somebody else is starting to get really into it as well, and then somebody dies in the game... And they, they all lose their shit. They're like, you're not allowed to be here anymore because you died. And so she, like, goes off. And I can't quite remember how it all goes. But essentially, it leads to someone committing suicide because they're like, it's my fault that this character died. And so I'm going to commit suicide. I can't live with myself anymore. And then they're all like, oh, no. And then they're like, well, that person went to hell, but you can still save yourself. Get rid of your lousy dungeon master manual and pick up the Bible. <laughs> and I'm almost... Uh, quoting it exactly right there. Uh, <laughs> you and, sound very over the top yeah. in the way that you can only be if you're word for word imitating and, yeah. a Christian fundamentalist. Yeah. And so then she strikes a deal with this pastor to accept Jesus Christ and she's saved. And then it, the whole moral dilemma faded for like 20, almost 30 years. And then they made a movie off of it. There's an you can type it into YouTube. You type Dark Dungeons, I think, into YouTube. Is it a good movie? No, it's so shitty. And I couldn't I watched it. I could not tell if it was a parody of it Uh. or if it was an actual like somewhat some Christian was trying really hard to make this really important video, but it's really bad. And like like I cannot tell. I can't tell if it's bad on purpose or bad because it's a Christian film. But it did get the uh, Jim Chick or whatever his name is, James Chick, whatever. It get, did get his approval. Like they showed him it and he's like, yep, I sign off on this. And he allowed it to be produced. So then it must be bad. Otherwise, he's really dumb. He's I, again, he's, yeah, I mean, he's really probably dumb, dumb and he thought it was serious, but it just was bad. And, and they're like, <laughs> can you believe that he fucking signed off on this parody of his own comic book? Or I just don't know. I can't tell from watching it. But, yeah. So even in 2014, we're still getting this stuff. We're still getting these these narratives of, like, it could be evil. And even, like, the guy on the 700 Club, the super old guy who's basically Ugh. resurrected himself, like, three or four times. Or at least it looks <laughs> like it. Um, he even, like, recently was like, you know, oh, I don't know if video games are bad. Because uh, someone asked, like, should I allow my kid to play video games that have magic in them without them actually doing magic in real life. And he's like, you know, it's not about how close you can get to danger without, you know, getting in trouble. It's about how far away you can be. And I don't know about video games, but I do know about this Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, yo, Pat, you're like 20 years late on this, bro. You <laughs> should <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, uh, Yep. That was fun. And you know what? To be completely honest, going through this era just with Dungeons and Dragons makes me really want to do a whole episode on some 
some books that came out of that. Oh, era. I would love to do that. Yeah. I'm upset because it's just so weird for me since I've never, I was never raised like that. Like I remember when I was a kid and Harry Potter came out, my best friends, they weren't allowed to read it yeah. because it had magic in it. And little like eight year old me was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. It's just a book. Yeah. So yeah, that's all so foreign to me. Um, The one thing that I did want to give a quick uh, reference to was also during the, from 1980 to 1995, the FBI was basically stalking Gary Gygax. Yeah, they, they compiled were... a whole dossier on him and TSR. Um, Are you going to talk about the two that... I was going to talk about the note. Uh, were you going to talk about the two that joined his group? No. Okay, I'll get into that. So after. one of the things, um, and I got this from, there's this really long article that I would suggest people check out um, on Reason by CJ Sierra Sierra Mella about um if you send Dungeons me the and link Dragons. I'll try and include yeah it we'll there. send the link on there and that was I had read it two years ago when it came out and that was like the first thing I ever read about D&D mm. was about the FBI looking into him but um in 1980 there was a note written on TSR stationery about an assassination plot that got the FBI's attention it turned out to just be like notes for a plot of a game <laughs> Uh, but they ended up like going to TSR to confront them about that. So yeah. that was one that I thought was kind of funny. I'm like, oh my God, you morons. Yeah. Uh, but no, so two FBI agents so like, there was, infiltrated them? There was a, a couple of, of FBI agents posing as a boy and a girl, uh, a couple, and they they came to town and they basically like wormed their way into his gaming group because they wanted to see what they were actually plotting. Mm-hmm. Plotting. And then they played... And then they revealed, yeah, we're FBI agents, and we were sent to figure out what you were plotting, but we can see that this is all, like, <laughs> totally chill, and also, we would love to join your gaming group. That's amazing. Right? It's, that's what Christianity <laughs> should be like. Christianity should learn something from D&D, right? <laughs> of, like, oh, hey, uh, this is chill, and you guys all seem like cool people. You don't seem like the sort of people that would literally lynch somebody if they got their hands on them. We want to join your group. That's what it should be like. Instead, we're leaving it up to pl- things like Dungeons & Dragons to do that, to include people and show the FBI that it's totally cool. Yep. Yep. So we will we will put up a link to that article if you want to read more about the FBI craziness. And that, that story does come from the book that I was reading, which is The Empire of Imagination. So, oh, nice. Um, again, I, I read that. And then, Hannah, you're reading Of Dyson Men. Yes. Yep. So that is where we're getting our information. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think we can jump out of this era for now. <laughs> um, we're definitely going to talk about more of this stuff later in another episode. But... Uh, for now, we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna move hit on. the pause button on our rants. Uh, <sighs> so, oh, I need to yeah. take a break. While the Satanic Panic is going on, Dungeons and Dragons is doing great financially. Yes, They're selling is. like crazy. Um, in 1981, Gygax made a distribution deal with Random House, which was the biggest publisher in the U.S. at that time. They might still be. Um, so he got the game into tens of thousands of bookstores. Uh, TSR followed up the deal with some uh, more kid-friendly products. So business was booming. Uh, in, in 1982, the company saw its annual D&D sh- sales shoot up to $16 million in the 80s. So that's a shitload of money. Um, and yeah, so at this point, the Bloom Brothers had the controlling interest in the company, which would lead to a lot of problems. And also at the same time in the early 80s, um, Gygax was separating from his wife. 
Um, so as part of that, he he was like, I'm going to go to Hollywood. He, he moves over there. He's living yep. large, spending like crazy. He rents Dude. a mansion. Yeah, he's got a fucking mansion. He is rubbing elbows, doing a whole lot of coke probably. He was doing so much coke. <laughs> Like it's he's he's got he's got young girls hanging out uh, not young like gross young not but Epstein like, yeah <laughs> not friends with Jeffrey uh, Epstein we got, I guess in this day and age it's sad that we have to make that point not too young just younger than him yes um and uh, his his oldest son and his his younger son is are living with him one's in college one's in high school um I think one was actually helping out with his work over there. Um, they're all partying hard. Um, and you know, it's like, if not every night, every few nights, he's got a party at his place. He's got Coke, he's got weed, which he's always been into weed. Uh, and he's, he, I think at this point he's pretty much officially left the church, uh, Jehovah's Witness Church. Oh yeah. That was one of the reasons that he and his wife separated. Um, his drinking had been causing a lot of problems in their church. Yeah. Um, and so she, and she also resented all the time he spent playing quote unquote games. So yeah. 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 Uh, cause obviously games don't pay for shit when he's living in a fucking mansion in Hollywood. Oh man, I wish I could play games and live in a mansion. Everyone wishes they could do that. Some so, things are yeah. more important than money, and also <laughs> it was not financially sustainable. No, so I thought in the book that I was reading, I think he was spending upwards of like um, twenty thousand dollars a month, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then also he, so he's rumored to have paid a screenwriter mm-hmm. half a million dollars to write a movie script for a D and D movie. Yeah. So he was just blowing money left and right. That that movie never ended up being produced. Right. Uh, the only thing that really came out of his time in Hollywood was 27 episodes of a D&D Saturday morning cartoon, which I assume is what's playing on That's this TV right here. That's what's playing on TV right now, man. So. Look at that dragon. Look at how scary that thing is, man. <laughs> and this guy with one horn flying around. He's got all the pow- the weapons of power. He's going to like. He's going to destroy these kids. It's There's no way. This is only episode three, but he's definitely going to kill them all. <laughs> yeah, so this this cartoon yeah. is all he got out of his time in Hollywood, basically. That and a lot of blow. <laughs> <laughs> Two kinds of blow. Um, the, the reason why it was so, like, he was so gung-ho about it, too, is because, again, there's pressure from the Bloom brothers. They're running things at TSR now. And but not well, either. They're, they're You're having right. their You're own mismanagement right. But nobody problems. knows that quite yet. But he, they're running things, and Gary can feel this kind of wall closing in on him. And so this is his escape. This is his, like, okay, you guys run that. I'm going to go to Hollywood, and I'm going to make D&D a thing. And he he actually d- was in conversation with um, people uh, to make a D&D movie. But every single step, he had he worried about the fact that he still has to go get approval from the Bloom brothers and he worried about like, what's their take going to be? What's, what are they going to take for cut? You know, like, and, and he, it really held him back from really getting this thing done. I mean, he was, um, I can't flip. I can't remember who it was, but they were like big names, like, like a producer that worked with Steven Spielberg and, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, they had just come out with ET. So this Mm. producer was like, Everybody loves that we put D&D into E.T. Let's make a D&D movie. He was ready to go and it just fizzled out because, well, really because Gary's attention got pulled back to uh, Wisconsin. To Lake Geneva. When he started to learn, when he found out that Kevin Bloom, 
was trying to sell the company. Yeah, because they they had been basically bleeding the company dry with uncontrollable spending. They kept like buying Gary other Gary being one of those people. <laughs> well, yes, him too, but the Bloom brothers were doing it too. They were buying all these like other little companies yeah. like they did like some sort of knitting thing because one of their wives, wives. was into knitting. Yep. So they were just making terrible choices over there. And so Gary heard that they were thinking of selling off the company. Yeah. He's like, not on my watch. So he he goes back home. He's trying to find a way to save the company. Um, that kind of came through his writing partnership was with some guy named Flint Dill. And I didn't see that much about their relationship. I know they maintained like their they, partnership throughout the rest yeah. of his life, basically. They met through gaming in when he moved to Hollywood and they just kind of they they got along really, really well. And unfortunately, it was going to be a huge downfall. For yeah. Him. So Dill's sister, Lorraine Williams, um, wanted to work in publishing. And I guess she also had access to some money. So Gary yeah. was like, oh, this could be a good thing. So he goes back um, and argues to TSR's board that Kevin Bloom should be let go. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Bloom, only person who votes against it. The board votes to remove him. His brother abstains from voting. Yep. Which is, whew. I mean, it just shows that his brother <laughs> needed him to be kicked off, but he didn't want to be yeah. a dick and be like, yo, be bro, like, you're yep. So This uh, is a big deal, though, because none of the people... So TSRs was originally three owners, right? Mm -hmm. And then they joined um, a, a group of business owners throughout America or whatever, and they brought on three more people who were were had nothing to do with the company and it was a way of them kind of just solidifying themselves as a real company so now you go from three owners to six owners and three of those six are not, have basically nothing to do with the company they just have say in what's going to happen understanding that the blooms are really in control because they own majority share um those three extra people <laughs> Did not like Gary Gygax. Like, they were <laughs> yeah. not fans of his. He, when all. he went to petition them to get Bloom off the uh, off the board, he was like, they're probably going to fire me. Yeah. Like, he didn't think it was going to go well. Right. But this so, was like his last ditch attempt to save his company. So, yeah. So, they, they actually agreed with him because he presented enough evidence to show that Bloom was fucking things up. And then they got rid of Kevin Bloom. Yeah. And uh, as, as a person in charge, at least, he still had his share. Uh, both he and Brian Bloom still had their share, and this is what's going to cause a lot of problems later as well. Yes, because eventually um, Gygax installs Lorraine Williams as the general manager, um, and one of the quotes in the book was uh, from him, and he said, shortly after this came my downfall. Yep. So Lorraine, not into D&D, &D, not she into the gaming community at all. went as far as saying that gamers are like, the worst people that she could know yes so sometime after that after she made uh her her opinions clear she and gygax stopped getting along yeah uh started budding heads and it it'd be like if i brought you into a podcast and then you're like i fucking hate podcasters yeah they're like, the worst you and i would not get along <laughs> and it would have been dumb for me to do that <laughs> so uh it escalated to lorraine basically deciding she was going to take over the company because she had decided she kind of liked managing it she yeah. liked some of the people she worked with sure and it was probably some sort of power play she's like i'm gonna take everything you have the the big thing that i read was there was a point when she was trying to do things and gary publicly embarrassed her by saying she had no idea what she was doing because she's never played games before. And she's like, you don't need to play games to run this company, and I'm going to prove it, and I'm going to take everything from you. Like, that's apparent. That I think that's speculation, but that was a big a big thing 
was that he publicly denounced her and she was like all right fuck you i'm gonna take everything now and she did so she bought first brian bloom's shares and then all of kevin bloom's stock so she was effectively the majority owner after that oh absolutely and and that was the thing is as gary thought he had this huge plan it was very much a DD style gaming strategy thing he thought he was going to win he thought he was walking into the boardroom that day to sign over uh the blooms stock to him and he was going to take over and he was going to fire lorraine and he was going to just run it the way it should be and literally just like a fantasy movie where the bad guy is winning lorraine had already talked to them and already convinced them to put her in charge and they sold her their bits because they were watching the money lose like lose its value their stocks she's like all right i'll buy you out at this point unless you want to keep losing money and they're like no we want it (laughs) so she buys him out he walks in lorraine goes hey buddy you're out of (laughs) here so he he did try to sue at first yeah to argue that the sale was illegal he lost and then by the end of 1986 she had just made life so miserable for him that he sold her the rest of his shares and was gone yeah so i think lorraine would have actually been really good at playing D. If she was if able she, to get over herself she could have and, gotten over. and play it. She's, yeah. she's maniacal. Yeah, man. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, they they started this in the 70s by the, the mid-80s. He's out, too. He's gone the way of Arneson, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I guess we don't want to go too far into his post-TSR life, but... I mean, basically around the same time that everything was going to shit at work, he married his former assistant, Gail. Yeah. Um, and they had a son named Alex. Uh, uh, just just throwing this out there, because, yeah. again, uh, don't ever love heroes too much, especially if they're male. He did have multiple affairs um, on his wife. and. But he didn't. So he married her like quite a while after Gail? he divorced his wife. I'm not saying that they yeah, were. Yeah, I was because I, I saw just, that and I'm like, wait, his assistant. Oh my god, what yeah. was he doing? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know if I don't remember reading anything that said that they were hooking up before his divorce. But yeah, I mean, it, there were there was absolutely um, he was a part of a players club, uh, like the gentlemen's club or whatever it is in Lake Geneva. Like he was hooking up and and she knew about it. Like and she tried to make it work. And it wasn't until like they went on vacation and literally they're flying to London on vacation. And she's like, by the way, we're getting a divorce. Him and Mary Jo. Yeah. And and he just had to be on on this. He had to go. And London from fucking like America to London is a long ass trip. And he has to just sit next to her knowing that she hates him and she's going to divorce him. Like there's and there's nothing that he can do to fix it. And then they had to go on vacation and be on vacation together. And then they get back and straight up divorce. And that takes a long time. Like, that was not an easy process. Obviously, they have, like, six kids at this point. And yeah, he's he and worth, Mary Jo had five. And then he had the sixth with Gail. Um, so, And he's worth a lot of money. So, you know, she's going to get portions of that. And so it wasn't easy on him. And then, yeah, eventually he does end up with Gail, which I think is, is cool. <laughs> Not that he like was sleeping around, but I think at this point he start he starts to get tempered a little bit. At this point, he's been divorced. He's had several kids. Um, he's been beat down time and time again with his work and what he loves doing. I think we're starting to see a little bit more of a mature guy coming out of all of this. 
And so when Gail gives him his sixth kid, I say gives him like it's property, but I, and, but I didn't mean it like that. I meant just in general, like he, when he knocks her up and when, she has and the baby, she has the, the baby, like he realized how much he wanted to be a dad at this point. And like, he wanted to be a dad before, but he was so invested with all of his other stuff. Like now with his final kid, he's finally taking the time to actually be a dad with him. Um, and the other five were like, oh, great, I mean, the I'm other glad five, you finally figured out. How the to other five, I don't think I ever read anything that said that they were ever disapproving of his fatherhood or, or, or his style. But it was just like, I think it's just like an internal thing of him figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, this is a point where I think he's he's really starting to kind of change his life. Yeah. And then career wise, not much happens. He He tries to start a new company called New Infinities Productions. They published one game, went out of business. Yeah, real he, quick. He took a job after that writing a new fantasy game called Dangerous Dimensions. Yep. But TSR threatened a copyright lawsuit because it was DD. Yeah. Uh, and they said that was too similar. So he changes the name to Dangerous Journeys. Yep. TSR sues anyway. Yeah. And basically, they just make it impossible for him to do anything fantasy-related. Lorraine is going after him. She has a vendetta against him. And one of the things that I found really interesting was when um, when they're, they took it to court the second time, and he's like, yo, this is not the same game. And she's like, well, it does this and this and this, which is the same as D&D, and it's got all these same rules and same style of play. And Gary at one point told the judge, like, hey – is there a difference between chess and checkers? And the judge is like, yeah. And he's like, okay, but they both work off the exact same board. They both have pieces. They both have titles that are monarchy titles. They both have strategy. And a lot of the characters do a lot of the same thing. So in essence, if you go by what Lorraine's saying, they're the same game, right? And the judge is like, oh, shit. <laughs> but they, but like people just didn't understand D&D well enough to understand what the difference was between Dungeons and Dragons and Dangerous Journeys. Um, and so they just look at it and go, oh, it's an RPG. It's basically a ripoff. It's like, no, there's a huge difference in gameplay. It's just the same style of play. That doesn't mean it's the same game. Right. I, In my brain, I guess the, the similar comparison for modern days would be like if you had another like war video game and they're like oh this is too much like call of duty like we're gonna see you it's like no there can be multiple war 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 games yeah absolutely plus this is starting to see you know i think this is gary starting to see how different the gaming culture is now because back when he was a young gamer they would create games that are literally based off of the other games. It's just a little bit different. And then they call it something different. Mm-hmm. And everyone loved it because they're like, oh, it's this game, but it's like this now. And, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to take these Napoleonic Wars and we're going to make it in in the in the ships and the boats. And so we're going to use the Napoleonic Wars with this uh, battleship game and we're going to combine them and make this new game. And everyone's like fuck yeah dude that's what i want to play right there you know they're losing their mind over it now if your game is just too close it's become so corporate it's become so big that people are now suing each other because things are just a little too close to each other and it's this huge change in in the culture that he's being reintroduced to because he's been hiding behind D the whole time mm-hmm. and now he's trying to do it again and it's just not working. Yeah, they just won't let him. Um, get There is a lot that happens in this era, though. Um, and one of the main things that I wanted to touch on 
is again, and I pointed this out earlier in the episode, Gary's a creative guy. He is not a business guy. So we're, we're getting into all this business stuff that he has to deal with. And his love is for wargaming and telling good stories. And so during his time with Dangerous Journeys, he got to create or continue writing books. He wrote novels. You can go find them. <laughs> I think it's like Ruck the Rogue or something like that. Um, and and he got to tell all these stories through these novels that he's always wanted to do because he was so busy with TSR running the company, he didn't have time or energy to write what he wanted to write. Um, and now that he's older and he's he's getting windfalls from you know TSR money and from some of the stuff that he's got coming in, he's finally able to do what he wants. And I think that's really important to note is like, there is a point where he is able to start creating and writing and becoming the, the writer that he wanted to. Um, so Dungeons and Dragons is not just a gaming system. We're not just talking about Gary because he created the game. He also wrote and wrote a lot of good stuff. So I just I really wanted to point that out before we, we move on. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, basically, the only other things I had to talk about were like his legacy. I mean, he tried all those other things after after TSR, but nothing was as big as D&D, which right. I mean, is not a slight toward him at all. No. D&D was this massive hit that has endured for years and years or decades and decades and will probably continue to long after he's dead and to be honest the only reason why um some of his other stuff isn't out there is because D&D ended up buying the rights to those things and just kind of squashing yeah burying them yeah so it's it's not that they weren't good it's that they just got buried Mm -hmm. which is so sad like it's so sad that somebody can work on something for so long and then it's just gone because People don't want it to be out there. Well, and sad that you can be the creator of something yeah. and then never be allowed to do anything like it again yeah. because someone bought your shares. Yeah. It's so it's so bureaucratic and on just such a nightmare from a creative standpoint. Right. Um so uh yeah, so at, at some point, uh Dungeons and Dragons or TSR creates uh, second edition D&D. Um, people don't like it as much, um, but they did it specifically so that they didn't have to keep paying Gary Gygax any royalties. Um, this is late 80s, early 90s, I believe. And um, and he and they basically create an entire edition. Uh, they redo the entire thing. And they did basically what he tried to do to Arneson. But they did it fully and completely so that they could be like, nope, you don't get any more money from us. And it was uh, bad deal after bad deal after bad deal under Lorraine. And eventually the company was in debt for like $30 million. Um, and they had to sell to – they were talking to one company who was interested in buying it. But then the company wasn't sure if they could fully manage it, so they talked to Wizards of the Coast, who are based in Seattle. They're the ones who do Magic the Gathering, right? Yeah, they were they were popular because of Magic the Gathering. And um, Wizards of the Coast liked the, the pitch so much that they didn't want to go in as a shared investment. They just bought the company that pitched it to them and TSR at the same time. And then eventually uh, Wizards of the Coast was bought by Hill... Uh, Hill Hasbro? Hasbro. I kept wanting to say Hillsborough. That's a city <laughs> outside of Portland. Um, Hasbro bought them, but let them continue doing their thing because they're like, obviously it works. We just want to 
take a cut. <laughs> <laughs> we just want the money that yeah. you're making. Um, so so now Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons is published by Wizards of the Coast and owned by Hasbro. Um, some would say owned by Wizards of the Coast, but they're double owned. So, um, and and that's where you know we start to get into the legacy. Um, one of the big points was he was featured on like Futurama. Yeah, he got to voice himself in an episode that I think also had like Stephen Hawking and Stephen Hawking, uh, Al Gore, and Lieutenant Ahura. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then I guess they like end the episode by all sitting down to play D and D. Yep. So basically, I mean, as far as I see it, he had a pretty good life despite all of the shitty business deals that went on. Like his the end of his life, he kind of got to like soak in the being the legend that created D and D. He got to go to the conventions that he loved. He got to, you know, talk to talk to the fans. I saw somewhere that like. He made it a point to always uh, write back to letters that he got from dudes in prison. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because there's that's also in the article that we're going yeah, to. D and D was like a big deal in prison, and there yeah. were a lot of cases about it about how they didn't want the inmates playing it because they were like they're going to get into like gang wars over D and D. Well, not just that, but it's also uh, a moral question. If if people are using D and D as escapism, not mm-hmm. to escape prison, but escapism from the reality of life. Then a prisoner could spend their entire time within prison in a fantasy world, not thinking about or working on themselves, um, and thus they they just escape the the time that they spent in prison. I would argue that, and maybe I'll save this for later. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna save it for later. I'm gonna, I'll get back to it. I'm gonna bring up the prison thing later. Okay. That's what that's what they think. I'll bring it up later. Okay. So yeah. So I mean from. Where I'm standing, it seems like he kind of had just the right amount of fame in his later life. Yeah. Like, he, he wasn't getting the death threats anymore from the satanic panic. He wasn't getting, like, stalked that I know of. But he kind of got to sit back and reap the rewards that came from from his creation, this thing that, you know, he poured his soul into and that was, like, his, his crowning achievement, basically, of his whole life. Especially when you, you start to see the time when the people that – where youngsters playing this game finally grew up to a point where they had some influence in the world and they recognized his genius. I think that's where his life starts to really get good is because suddenly people who own companies like Wizards Wizards of the Coast, they're giving him the credit for what he did, right? And, uh, and they're like, yeah, we've been playing this since we were kids and look at us now. We own companies. We're running the country. We are actors. We are performers. We're... Um, accountants because I almost I almost became an accountant because I realized how much I love math because of D&D like when like we would play and roll the dice and you'd do you know 5d6 damage I would always not I'm not bragging I'm not trying to brag I'm not the best at math there are people who are better than me but we'd roll the dice and I'd always be the first one to calculate it I'd be like you know three four eight six whatever you know, and I'd do it, and and at one point my dad pulled me aside because he he played a game with me, and he's like, "Dude, you're really good at math." And I was like, "I am." <laughs> he's like, "You you calculated those numbers faster than anybody else. I've never I've never seen you do math before." He's like, "Why do you get bad math grades?" I was like, "I don't know, because it's boring." He's like, "You realize that Dungeons and Dragons is just math, right?" And my world changed. And I was like, oh, my God, I like math. That's insane. I didn't know I like math. But D&D showed me that I do. Like, so it's it's just crazy. Like, these people went out into the world after playing D for so long, D&D for so long, and 
they became the ones that changed it. And so that's when Gary, I think, really got got the credit that he deserved. Right. Um, do we want to talk about... Because um, obviously, he's not still alive. Spoiler alert. <gasps> what? I know. Uh, shocking that this dude who did so many drugs and had such a crazy lifestyle didn't live to a ripe old age. Yeah. Um, so one of the, the last creative projects he announced was in 2003. He said he and uh, his former assistant DM, Rob Koontz, Koontz? Koontz. Uh, were going to compile a six-volume guide to Greyhawk, which was his personal campaign, right? Yep. Um, and they were going to use details that TSR had never published, so they were going to try to get around it that way they were also going to call it um I, how do you say it zigzag or what they were going to call Greyhawk. they they spelled it z-a-g-y-g that's what they were going to call oh, it. oh yeah it was just a play on his yeah name. his name i don't know how to i have it. no idea how to say that um, but it's basically gygax backwards um and they were going to call it that to avoid copyright infringement claims um but he ended up having a stroke in 2004 which slowed him down quite a bit so they only ended up publishing two of the six volumes um and then he died uh four years later in on march 4th uh 2008 at his home in lake geneva yeah at the age of 69 yeah the end yeah for him <laughs> for him but not for D. not the D. not D end nope um yeah and uh, around that time D had been at uh its third edition after being bought by wizards of the coast and quickly after that uh around 2012 is when uh fifth edition came out i skipped fourth because i don't like fourth uh <laughs> at me in the comments um uh fifth edition came out and there was you know it went back to a lot of the original or not a lot but it it went back to reference a lot of the original rules to to get back to where it had started to kind of clean things up a little bit um back to his rules so that was that was a big deal um so yeah i mean he he lived a he lived a life i think there are good moments in there obviously there are bad and tragic moments that's why it's a a life worth talking about um towards the end i think he really started to realize what he enjoyed about life and it was being with his family and he had worked hard enough to know what what he wanted which was family you know um and i think a lot of that came from when his dad died and he didn't he wasn't a good son at that time and he didn't respect his dad for all the good shit that he had done and and he regretted that and so he wanted to do his best to be a good dad for his kids um so that was that was an interesting take for me i like it what's your so what's your opinion now what is your give me your ending sermon on D. oh my god my ending ser- my ending sermon on D is that i wish i would have played it as a kid yeah like i think i'm just reading of dyson men which is like part biography of gary and how how D was created and part like memoir for the writer himself yeah like it's really interesting to see or to read how D has shaped people no matter what career they go into like you said math skills the the guy who write who wrote of dyson men is a journalist like yeah. so so many of the things that they are now they are skills that they took from from playing D, the social skills the the creativity the problem solving um so yeah i just think like it obviously has that stereotype when you first hear someone talk about D&D, you're like, oh, that's super nerdy or weird or whatever else. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really unfair stereotype. And 
think it has had overall a very positive impact on on people and art yeah absolutely well i love it we're gonna figure out how to get you to start playing D. Oh. it's not too late <laughs> it's never too late to just play because D&D. you didn't play when you were a kid doesn't mean you can't play now uh, right we'll 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 get you we'll get a game going Woo-hoo. at some point i don't know how involved i'm gonna be with it but well, we got to get something going. You'll just dump me off on some other. I'm going to get you group. and Megan together and I'm going to play at least uh, a game session or two with you guys just so you can get an idea of it. And then we got to find someone to start running games. I think it'd be fun if you guys did. We don't have to make it a podcast or anything, but if you guys <laughs> just did like a literary D&D campaign where like you're jumping from book to book or some shit oh like that. Oh my god. And then like and you just have like whoever's running the game is just coming up with these scenarios. That would be fun. That would be so fun. Right? See, this is why you make a good DM, because you think of stuff like that. Yeah, the problem is I'm too fucking busy, man. <laughs> Trust me, I want to. I'm already coming up with ideas, but I just can't, because I got other stuff going on. I know. It's such a problem. So Our problem now is that we've gone long once again on this episode. And we're going to go a little bit longer. I, <laughs> oh. I have my my quick thing that I want to say. Yes. What I, kind of what I was alluding to with the, the prison thing. Okay. So... I think D&D is the greatest thing in the world. I really do, right? Like, like for me, like, there's Jesus, my wife, Dungeons and & Dragons. <laughs> and, I, I, and I'm not being... Facetious? <laughs> I'm not being facetious. I'm not being um, uh, hyperbolic either. I, I think that D&D is starting to be seen for what it could be, which is um, a tool to help people come out of themselves a little bit um it started as rules to have an imaginary battle on an imaginary battleground um but it's become so much bigger and um and it's changed so much and it's continuing to change and 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 i'm excited to see the way that it it goes uh i'm a little scared of some of the stuff that's happening right now but the the process of Taking yourself, sitting down at a table and going, who do I want to be right now? And I've been able to play characters that are so not me that it's helped me have the mind frame for empathy and understanding in other people's lives. When people are like, when there are fundamental Christians who are like, we have to do this and it has to work this way and we have to do it this way, I can be like, okay, I disagree with you, but we can, we can talk about this because I've played the paladin in dungeons and dragons who has literally said that shit. I've, I've played a game where I've been like, if we don't do it my way, I will kill every single person who gets in my way. And everyone's like, Whoa, dude, what, what, why, why would you do that? Now you're making the game harder. It's like, look, this is what my character would do. This is how this person would react to the situation. You, we just found out that there's a murderer in town. They murdered people for a good reason, but they're a murderer too. And if we don't take care of them, then we are uh, we're saying that it's okay for murder to happen. I'm a paladin. I can't let that happen. So then it becomes a moral dilemma. It becomes a discussion. And then it turns into a battle, and it's great. It's fun, and people lose, and people win, and then there's dragons, and it's it's fun. I, as a DM, I get to create worlds and scenarios like that where I have to fit every angle of the argument, where sometimes I'm for the murderer going and murdering. Sometimes I'm against, you know, and 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 so 
through this game, I've been able to step outside of myself and get around my own pride and my own ego. And that's been what I've learned from this game. I've also learned that I like math. <laughs> you know, like there's small things like that. There are people who have played this game and they realized through this game, I want to be an actor because they get so into character that they dress up as their character, that they, they you know, do the voice and they, they think about it. They write stories and backstories and they're like, this is what I want to do. I love acting. I love the theater and I love D&D because of it. There's people who have decided their entire life because they've played a couple of sessions of D&D. It's so important to allow people to try on different faces, especially at a young age, at a teenage age where you don't know who you are. All you are right now at that age is an amalgamation of what your parents have told you you are. But to be able to have an excuse to try on other faces is so important. And, and it allows that freedom to decide for yourself without the frustration of someone telling you you have to be a certain way. So I think especially for teenagers going even in college and, and in your 20s, it's it's so useful as a tool to to help your personality. Getting into the, the prisoner thing, you know, I, I didn't I didn't want to spoil it too much, but I feel like it could be used as an opportunity, not for escapism, but for moral lessons where it's like, Okay, in real life, you literally murdered somebody. <laughs> Let's go ahead and play this game. Like, you can have actual psychologists and psychiatrists and and people who are are capable of understanding the human brain, and you have some them running a D and D game, and it's not you know about the battle as much as the moral conundrums of situations, and they can really. That it's like when they have kids drawing and then they look over the drawings, and they're like, oh, this reveals this and this and this. The exact same thing can happen in D&D. Um, so when I say like it's one of the best things in the world, I'm being serious because I think it's something that people need to get over the um, stigma of the satanic panic. They need to get over the stigma of, oh, you're just a bunch of nerds running around the forest and, and elf makeup. You know, and do you know, one damage, one damage. One. <laughs> like, that's different. That's something else that can be good for people, too. But that's not what we're talking about today. Um, so being able to get out of yourself and enjoy the process of playing this game, you know, and if you're a video gamer, it's the exact same feeling of of playing a video game. If you're someone who just plays board games, it's the same feeling as playing a board game. If you're a writer, actor, I don't know what else like it's it's all these things in one and one of the things that so i'm going to tie the bible guy one of the things that i get from the bible the most is in uh in scripture paul says you know try and be all things to all people be a person that feeds the hungry be a person that shelters the homeless be caring to those that need a caregiver be stern to those that need direction like be all things to all people. And that's exactly what Dungeons and Dragons can do. It can be all things to all people. Mic drop. That was it. That was, that was quite the sermon. And it ended in a very sermony note. Yeah, well, I haven't <laughs> been a youth leader in a while. It kind of comes out. <laughs> I, I, it never goes skills. away, I yeah. guess. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you very much. Uh, Shall we get out of here? 
Yeah, let's get the fuck out of here. So, Tyler, uh, where can they find us? Uh, you, you know, I'm opening this up, but I don't think I even need to. You can, <laughs> you can find us at Lewis and Lovecraft. Uh, well, our website is lewisandlovecraft.com. You can go to our website and see pictures of us there. Click on our show button. It'll take you to our Podbean if, in case you're not on a podcast thing. Um, Instagram, you can see pictures of us there <laughs> um, with, you know, small announcements and, and videos and stuff uh, at Lewis and Lovecraft. Uh, you can email us at Lewis and Lovecraft at gmail.com or Facebook, facebook.com backslash and Lovecraft. correct me if we're wrong, but we're still taking flash fiction, right? They can oh, email we're that absolutely to us. taking flash fiction. Thanks for bringing that up, <laughs> Hannah. I want you, all of you listening right now, to stop. Stop whatever you're doing and think of a fun, silly, scary, spooky, weird story that you can write within 500 to 700 words. That might not That might seem like a lot to some people, but that's like three paragraphs. That's like a page, maybe. <laughs> It's not that much writing. It might not seem like enough to some people, but it's a good exercise in writing to just get a story out. Write something fun, scary, spooky, weird, whatever you want. Send it to us and we will read it on our show for our Halloween episode. Submit your stories by October 15th. Email them to lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. Woohoo! Perfect. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing them. I don't get to read them ahead of time, so yeah. I'm the basic the basic idea of that episode is going to be I'm going to present them to Hannah to kind of review and talk about, maybe chuckle or be like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> uh, so so. And it was really fun last year, so I'm looking forward to it again. You guys are so talented. Yeah. So it'll be fun. Um, and then housekeeping. Uh, thank you to Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. As always, we love him. You can find him at SoundCloud.com/slash Jake. Basson, B is in boy, A-S-S-E-N. Yep, yep. Um, make sure, wait, which one am I supposed to do now? Subscribe. Ah, make sure you subscribe. <laughs> See, I don't have it up. I'm trying to remember. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our show, whether it's on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if you're just a random podcast catcher, just subscribe to us so that when we do produce random things, go to our YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube because we are going to start putting stuff up there. And uh, if you're on a platform that allows you to, please review us. We want to know what you think. Uh, and it also helps other people who yeah. might be on the fence about listening make that, that decision. So make sure to review us. And then also, the best way to review us is to tell a friend. Yeah. Um, make sure you just tell someone about this. If you know about someone who is interested in D&D and you want to see their reaction to our episode, send it over their way. Let them see what they think of the history. If you like D&D and you want to show people an intro to D&D, maybe this is a good way of doing that and, it's, and we're fun enough that people would be interested in it. Um, send us their way. If, if you just like talking about books with people, if you're in a book club, if you know a bookstore owner, if there's just random nerds that you know, send us their way tell your friends about us it's the best way to help our show and right now we need your help help me uh what's so do you want to allude to our next we need episode? to figure out what we're doing for our next episode we, all, we know, we know the next one though uh we're gonna talk about some middle school books yeah i already i already read mine you already read yours i started reading mine uh yesterday yeah so, yep. i'm so excited <laughs> are you there methuselah <laughs> I can't wait to hear what book this is. Yeah. Over and out.